Welcome to Engaging Culture, a podcast presented by Bridgeway Christian Church. I'm Brian Kiley. On this episode, my co-host, Pastor Lance Hahn, and I are joined by Keith Collins, a certified mortgage planner with Movement Mortgage. The three of us will be discussing how faith can influence the way we approach our jobs. For many of us, we'll spend more total hours in our adult lives working than we'll spend on any other activity besides sleeping. So it's critical that we are intentional about how we can integrate our faith with our work. We'll talk about how to do that on this episode of Engaging Culture. Well, hello. Welcome to another episode of the Engaging Culture podcast. Brian Kiley joined by the one and only Pastor Lance Hahn. Lance. I am Pastor Lance Hahn. Hi, everybody. And the man, the myth, the legend, certified mortgage planner, husband, dad, and all around t- awesome guy. team guy, awesome guy, terrific ping pong player, Keith Collins. Keith. Hey, how are you doing? Glad to have you with us, man. This guy's really good at ping pong. Yeah. I, I was it, not expecting <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> it's like five five games. I think I scored like maybe five, six points. It was embarrassing, actually. Yeah, I no, I believe that. It's, I believe that. He is he is awkwardly competitive. It was not good. Um, I, one of the first things awkwardly? I ever did with him um, was uh, we out in the back parking lot. We were going to do this big um, Easter thing, and we, and there was a shoot the oh that's right we got to do thing. Uh, we got to demo some guy had this system thing where you shot fake bow and arrows at each other. Yes, and I and it was like a promo, like they were filming it. He was doing it like for a little Facebook Live. So I thought we were like kind of acting it out and nope. do. He was oh very no, dude, he was all in. <laughs> play to win or don't play at all. That's, that's what I say. Oh, yeah. Um, anyway, glad we got that out there for our listeners. That just so important. we all know, I'm, I'm just saying, if he ever invites you over, like say no. Duly <laughs> <laughs> noted. It'll or be at least embarrassing not to play ping pong. Yes. Um, hey, before we get into our our content for today, which I'm really excited about, we need to talk about uh, a great new project that a few of our colleagues, Lance, started, and that is the Engaging Parenting Podcast. Episode one is out. Episode two will be coming up soon. Pastor Cliff, Pastor Matt, and some others are putting together a podcast for you parents out there just to talk through uh, the opportunities and challenges that come with raising teenagers, especially uh, in today's world. And they've got a lot of great insight to offer. And we just want to make sure that you, our listeners, know about that, especially those of you parents. Uh, please do check out the Engaging Parenting uh, podcast. Lance, anything to add to that? No, I would just say that they've had a passion to work with parents uh, because they realize that if they're going to work with students, right? I mean, they've both been longtime youth guys. If they're going to work with students, you've got to have the parents' involvement because we're only supplemental. And so their heart to help parents be resourced and encouraged and strengthened is super high. So this is a long time coming. And uh, I, I think they're, they do a fantastic job. So I, I really yep. encourage listening to that. So you can find that on our website. You can also find it uh, iTunes, or on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. So that is the Engaging Parenting Podcast. Check it out. Now, we're talking faith and work today. How do we integrate our faith with our approach to our jobs? I think something that all of us as Christ followers, whether we are uh, working in ministry, whether we're working in the for-profit sector, nonprofit se- sector, government, whatever. It's something that all of us have to think about and probably a subject that doesn't get enough attention. So that's what we're going to devote this hour to. Uh, and before we get too far into it, Keith, can you just tell us a little bit about what you do at Movement Mortgage? Yeah. So uh, Movement Mortgage, they they call me a producing market leader. So I'm tasked with basically two things. One is, is grow the Northern California market for movement and then and then run my own business. So I, I do home loans as well. Um, yeah, I mean, that's simple, right? We do we do loans for people and, and I help other other lenders 
Hope other people do home loans. Now, this is not a commercial for movement mortgage. No, it's not. (laughs) However, however, we're going to start skirting that issue in a moment here, because here's why. So, uh, Keith used to work for another company, and uh, we had done some work together in terms of he had actually helped us out on some uh, real estate stuff with our own own home. And uh, first of all, I'm just going to do a quick plug for him. He's rad. He is so good at what he does, and he makes it super painless and easy. Okay, so he didn't ask me to say that. However, when he made a shift over Slipping to movement. Over. <laughs> yeah, right that's right. I appreciate that. They can see that on the video. <laughs> um, so when he made the shift over to movement, um, he also got in contact with me and we started talking about it a little bit. And your eyes lit up. I think we were having sushi before, was it a Kings game? Mm-hmm. And, and I was asking a little bit about, and you were kind of excited about the a couple things about the company's core values and kind of their ideas. So can you just share real briefly um, why that that made you feel good about coming together with movement? Yeah, I mean, so, I mean, I'm, I'm in the mortgage business. I mean, we, we basically broke the world for, yes. for a period of time. <laughs> Did you? I appreciate that. Bad. And, um, and as I look back on maybe even 2018 before when I was going through that, like you could – you could look back on 2018 and potentially call it the year of the apology for like major corporations and public figures. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. And and, um, and so I was looking kind of at the 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 industry that I was in and the company was at. I was at a great company, um, but there was this other company that I had been introduced to that was really kind of calling at my heart, and it felt very aligned. So movement, and not to make it like a sales pitch, but I think it puts context in it. Movement's a, they're a top 10 mortgage bank in the U.S. So it's it's a large mortgage bank. That's huge. But it's a, it is a Christian faith-based mortgage company. Wow. Um, you know, we have a prayer room in corporate headquarters. We do prayer and worship healing nights at corporate headquarters. When I met with wow. the CEO of the company, he told me that um, this is a this is a church disguised as a mortgage company. That's awesome. And, cool. and so for me, that, that was kind of the calling was that um, – I felt that there was a mortgage company that was aligned with who I was and was going to allow me to be who I am a little bit more in kind of that crazy mortgage world. Yeah. It seemed to me that although it is still straight up a mortgage company, this is not, I mean, uh, don't, don't, you know, don't get them wrong about the sense that they're, they're doing their job with excellence. Their focus is we do mortgage, right? It's, that's the way it works. But their encouragement of their corporate culture to say, Hey, missions matters. Mm-hmm. Caring for other people matters. Using your money in a healthy way matters. Those types of core values, I think, are what infuse into movement that made you kind of excited. Is that correct? I'm 100%. Yeah. I mean, yeah. yeah. Okay. I feel like I'm, I don't know if it's kind of cheesy, but I've said it a few times. I feel like I'm actually doing work for the kingdom at my job in the mortgage business, and I'm not like in ministry, if you will, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. yeah, I feel like that's the heart of today. Yeah, right. that is this whole message. You just said right. it right there. We can go home. Yeah, done. yeah. There we go. Well, well, how, do we, how, do we, how do we live out the kingdom podcast. in 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 wherever we are? And right. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a pretty unique thing for you to be able to work in a company that kind of has that culture already built in. So, uh, in some ways, I mean that that creates opportunities for you that are maybe not present for others who would be in your same industry, but with a different company. And, and we're going to talk as we get, you know, throughout this hour about, Hey, how do you, how do you live out your faith in a place where uh, faith is welcomed? How do you live out your faith in a place where, where maybe it's not as, as not as welcomed, but um, no, I think it's really cool. The, the culture that, that your company has. And uh, you know, like Lance, I'm also a uh, satisfied customer of uh, 
Keith oh, Collins Mortgage yes. Services. So anyway, uh, but uh, good stuff. So Lance, let's go to you for a second here. If we look to scripture uh, and try to start thinking theologically about our work, uh, what can we learn about the way that God views work? Um, now, here's what's interesting. When you start digging into this concept, it's everywhere in scripture. Mm-hmm. Like if you don't think of it in this terms, you're always like, oh, it's all about, you know, being nice to people and compassionate and all that stuff. Yeah. Okay. But there is a lot of talk about work. So it kicks off all at the beginning. Here we go. Genesis 2.15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. Right off the bat, the first thing that God, that is introduced for humanity to do is work. And I find that amazing because God could do it on his own before the fall, which is before. Yes. And so that's going to be one of my key points. Thank you for jumping right ahead. That's what I do. Yeah. Step on the toes. I love it. Um, Genesis three 23, therefore the Lord God sent him out from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. So you have, you have work and human design that you're working in Eden. You're working out of Eden. You're working without sin. You're working with sin Work is built into the very dynamic and design of all of human nature. Right. Uh, and here's the other one. Genesis 2.18, the Lord God said, it is not good for a man to be alone. I'll make a helper fit for him. We always think of helper in terms of relationally. It's also helper in terms of how do I get the work done God has given me to do? Hmm. Literally, you even have partnerships to do the work of God. So from the outset, all of humanity was designed and orchestrated around a concept of work. So there you go. That is our theological basis for what we're talking about. Right. The work isn't, it's not part of the curse. Right. Uh, it's not I an mean, accident. No, we will know, talk about the curse. Sure. Yeah. yeah, certainly there is something to that. But but I think there's something to be said for the fact that, that there was work in the garden in the beginning. There'll be work in the new heavens and the new earth in the end. I mean, yes, sometimes uh, work feels like a tremendous burden in our lives now, but on some level, God has made us to work, to produce, to be a part of creating something, right? Yeah. Uh, I, well, let me add to this. Let me add to this because I think that we might we might tend to move on. Um, I, I do want to talk about that concept you were just talking about, which is curse. But remember this, Genesis 2, 2 through 3. And on the seventh yes. day, God finished his work that he had done and rested on the seventh day from all the work that he had You're done. You're completely stealing my point. We're just stealing points all over the place here. I had this written down right there. Oh, I'm so proud of you. Yeah. I'm so proud. <laughs> the only scripture I and wrote if you, down. Yeah. So if you would just be quiet and allow me to finish my scripture and steal your entire thunder, I'm that done. would be fantastic. Yeah. So God bless the seventh day. Yes. Now you're going to talk right after this. Hold okay. on. Okay, yeah. And made it holy because on it, God rested from all the work he had done in creation. So in a few short verses, it says the phrase work over and over and over. Keith, you're on. I was merely reading your verse for you. That was it. No, I appreciate that. No, I look at that um, as a lot of people think of uh, on the, so, so you know, uh, on the seventh day, God finishes work and he rested. And so I think a lot of people think of that as more um, about the actual rest right. on the seventh day, as opposed to the work in the previous six. Yes. So God worked, and the way I look at it is he works so hard that he had to rest. And um, and I think a lot of people don't, at least when I brought that up before, they don't think of that as that way, is that God, I mean, we, we from the beginning, we work hard and then, yeah. and then rest. Uh, you're absolutely, yeah. Now, okay, so we're going to get into the Sabbath concept um, here in a second, 
but um, and there's a couple different ways to look at it. But let me just reiterate what your point was is we go, oh, and God rested. And then we do this whole Sabbath focus, which Mm -hmm. is legit. Yeah. And we're going to talk about that in a moment. But you also had when God could have organized it out and said, and I worked one day and I rested six days. He didn't. He reversed that and said, I'm going to work six days. So is working hard part of it. Uh, A strong work ethic. And we're going to talk about what work is uh, throughout this whole time. But a strong work ethic is part of the Christian concept. Yeah. Right. So let let me just share this. Um, We need to redefine work. The concept of work from God is meaningful activity. All right. Mm. Meaningful activity, advancement, progress, using what you were built for, stuff like that. So work, we always think of work as a negative thing. Man, right. dude, I would we would keep partying, but I got to go to work tomorrow. Right. Like right. It's, it, that's the thing that ruins the joy. Yeah. We have to redefine that to realize, no, no, no. Work is a blessing. Work is what we were built for. Yeah. The points that cause us frustration is the curse. Right? Mm-hmm. You were talking about the curse. Here's yeah. how the curse ties into that. Genesis 3:17. Adam had a general curse. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread. Okay? So right off the bat, when mankind sinned, creation was messed up and it resisted. So you all of a sudden have frustration in your work. Again, what was supposed to be a blessing was wrecked by sin, right? right? But notice this, Cain had a personal curse. Genesis 4, 12, when you work the ground, Cain, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. So not only do we have a general frustration in work, but even when we're not following the Lord individually, there's an added burden in our work Mm. individually. So once again, when we say, man, work's a drag. No, 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 no. Work is awesome. We've made it a drag. Right. And I don't think it should be. Like many things that were intended to be blessing. (laughs) We, anyway, yeah. The the curse and our own sinfulness can, can mess it up, which is why for a lot of people, sort of you referenced this a minute ago, work is something to complain about. It's something to be endured. It's it's just sort of a, it's a have to sort of thing instead of an, an opportunity, which is of course an unfortunate way to spend that many hours of your life, right? Where more so it's something that, that we, who we are and like so what right. we should be. I mean, there are, yeah. there are studies on people that um, like retirement and, and mm. early, early death post-retirement. Yep. Oh yeah. Where when someone like, I was reading it like Shell, Shell did a study where, um, People are 37% more likely to uh, die sooner when they retire at 55 than when they retire at 65. Yeah. So, I mean, wow. Right. So, it, it's those things that, I mean, we're meant to do it. It's yeah. who we are. And if we don't do it, we start losing who we are. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting too. I mean, I, I, not to get too far into that point, but I think it's a really good one. You, I've seen those studies as well. The idea of, of you know, kind of death and decline following retirement. It's so interesting as I, because my parents live locally and I end up doing different things with them. I, I interact with a lot of their friends. And it's so interesting. You see folks who are retired, who have found causes to commit themselves to, they're no longer working for yep. money. Or I see the, even a lot of folks around Bridgeway, they, they're no longer working for money. They've retired, but they find, they volunteer at the church. They serve in some organization. They help out in local schools. They uh, have hobbies and, and things where they're able to produce. I mean, the difference between those sorts of folks and those who kind of disengage from life and just make it all about sort of either leisure or, or just 
again, disengagement. I mean, the, the, the quality of life and just sort of the vitality you see night and day. So you're right. I mean, I think when we stop producing in some manner, it, uh, bad things happen because we're made to produce, right? Correct. So, so talking broadly here, we talk about, okay, as Christ followers, we want to glorify God in everything that we do. And a big part of that is glorifying God in our work. Keith, I want to start with you. When you think about glorifying God in your workplace, what does that look like uh, for you? And what are maybe some principles that, that you carry with you that might be of some benefit to our listeners? Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's tough because some people that come to work, um, they come to work for, for like um, uh, rest and relief actually to get away from other things. So if, mm-hmm. if, um, if I'm, if I'm, pushing something on them that maybe that I want, I want work to be comfortable and a, and a welcoming place for everybody that's, that's, that's there. So sure. what I, what I try to do is um, like when, when, when someone's walking down the hallway, right. And they're, and, and you see them, there, there's a, there's something in your mind that you think, or when someone makes a, gives, calls you, you've got caller ID and, and in your mind, like I'm going to pick up this phone or not pick up this phone based on mentally, like who I know this person to be, right. Yep. They're going to give me value today. They're not going to give me value. They're calling about this and I'm dodging them for that. Whatever the reason, we're making a decision when we see somebody in work walking towards us, when someone's answering the phone. And so what, what I attempt to do at work is, is uh, engage with people in such a way where when we walk away, maybe they think, gosh, there's something different about about him hmm. and then and then potentially want to explore that explore that more mm-hmm. right so um corporately at, at movement you know any executive that's coming in and, and doing a talk they'll they'll start with prayer um mm-hmm. always i don't i don't necessarily do that because it's the day-to-day operations that we have and i don't necessarily want to like force that on people but um in my office it's extremely clear i've got i've got bibles on the desks i've got crosses on the wall you know and 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 we engage and talk but I try to make it more of a, a welcoming place at work where um, they know they can approach and they know there's something different. Is that? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Super yeah. good. Yeah, that's great. Lance, what are some other uh, just kind of big picture principles that, uh, you know, again, we talk about very generally glorifying God in our work. What are some other things that, that you know, folks can keep in mind? So I, I think that there's two spheres of um, the Christian life when it comes to work. The first one is fulfilling your design before the Lord. That's about yourself. Am I doing what God built me to do? Right. So if we're going to just keep it personal, it's between you and God. The second sphere is utilizing your work to bless the world around you. That's others focus. So you have two different uh, really spheres that you're operating in. And I think that Christians need to get both aligned, right? right? So first of all, man, am I in the right place doing what God has asked me to do? These things are valuable. Um, Am I dialed in to my design? I think that's critical. Um, And then am I doing things that can actively bless other people? But when we're talking about just work in general, I love the phrase, and, and you wrote this on our notes, so uh-huh. I just I'm, I'm springboarding off what you said. Yeah, the ministry of competence. Yep. Okay, this phrase yeah. I, I find captivating, and think about it this way. Um, and and uh, you know what? Can you read this quote? This is this is a brilliant <laughs> quote. Yeah. Okay. So uh, so 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 to give some background here, uh, I I did, was doing some teaching on faith and work a few years ago, and I read this book that's all about sort of integrating faith in in the workplace, and it told this uh, just unbelievable story about a guy who was an airline pilot, and he uh, 
they're 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 fl- he's flying his airplane just having you know it's just sort of a regular day uh this is back in february of 1989 when uh all of a sudden uh 22,000 feet in the air the cargo door of the jet blows open and it tears a huge hole in the plane so now you've got plane in the air hole inside a few people get sucked out it's tragedy a couple people lost their lives and now he's got all sorts of problems he's got a hole in the plane uh he's got too much gas in the plane so it's too heavy he can't land it safely uh he's got he has to he has to slow the plane down so that it doesn't go too fast to make the hole worse. But if he slows down too much, the thing's going to stall and they end up uh, end up in the ocean. He's a hundred miles from land. The whole thing is absolutely a mess. Side uh, note to our listeners: Lance already has a fear of flying, so now it is worse. So uh, <laughs> you're welcome. Um, but miraculously, the guy his name is David Cronin, 38 years of piloting experience, he landed the plane yeah. safely. And in the book I read, uh, I, I put this quote here. He said this. He said, when United Airlines Flight 811 got into trouble, the greatest gift Captain Cronin had for his passengers was his experience and good judgment. In those moments of peril, it mattered not to the passengers how Captain Cronin related to his coworkers or how he communicated his faith to others. And he was a Christian, by the way. The critical issue was this. Was he competent enough as a pilot to bring that badly damaged plane in safely? Through our work, we can touch God in a variety of ways, but if the call of the Christian is to participate in God's ongoing creative process, the bedrock of your ministry has to be competency. We must use our talents in as competent a manner as possible. Dude, that's so good. It's so good. And it is. Yeah. I don't care if my heart surgeon has devotionals. <laughs> right. Yeah. And it's like, and, and I think for so many people, and, and maybe we'll get into this more, I hear this a lot. You probably do too, Lance. People say things like, oh, well, you know, you you pastors or you missionaries, you're the ones who are really doing God's work. I'm right. just, you know, X, fill in the blank. And I'm like, no, like that is how you're participating in God's creative work. I remember when I was first a, a college pastor, I would tell our students like, listen, you can glorify God in your gob- job at the grocery store just as much as I can in my job here. Oh, yeah. And I can ignore God just as easily here as you can Absolutely. there. And, and I love the idea that part of the way we bless the world is by doing our jobs and doing it well and understanding we're joining God in the creative process when we do that. Right. Yeah. So there's there's obviously a couple pieces of that. One is that when you do things with excellence, it brings glory to God's name. When you fail to do it with excellence, it mars God's name. Um, it. But there's another piece to it, and that is I want to trust a car mechanic. I literally <laughs> look for believers right. to be my car mechanic yeah. because I don't trust a system that I don't know how to look and find the problem. So for example, if something's wrong with my car, I have no, I'm in complete um, submission to someone to tell me what the problem is. If they said your thingamajigger is broken, how am I supposed to know whether that's the case or not? I have no idea. (laughs) So I'm not looking so much for saying, do I know if they're the best? My first question is, are they someone I can trust? Then I'll take my car to them. Now, do I want them to do excellent? Yes. I don't want them to miss something. Well, you know what? He forgot to tell me that my axle was about to snap, <laughs> right? But he so, had a great quiet time. This but morning. he had a great quiet time in the morning. Um, so we want people that are competent, but we also want them to have Christian ideals. We want them to have Christian character and competency. We want them to live like Jesus so that they are a blessing to other people. I yeah. think that... You know, 
everything is about developing relationships. If we're going to talk about true evangelism, face to face, true evangelism. So how you operate in your workplace is always going to matter. But even on people that you're just coming in, clients that come into the mortgage place, you're not with them every day. They don't get to see the full you. Now, that experience of hanging with Keith Collins for a day, right, which, by the way, is worth thousands of dollars. Yeah, if, absolutely. If somebody comes in Can't and put meets a price with Keith that. Collins, no, it's priceless. <laughs> when they come in and meet, they will go, wow, that guy was super cool or super nice or he was a blessing. I wonder what's different about that guy. But for his coworkers who are around him all the time, Keith, that's you're going to have more of an impact on them. I think than other things, but I still think competency. Yeah. If somebody goes, because I've heard this, I've been in a company where there was me as a Christian and someone else as a Christian mm-hmm. and coworkers would go, that guy's a Yahoo. He doesn't, he's constantly making my life harder at work. He's, they did not want to know his Jesus yeah. because he simply was failing at competency. Yeah. Any thoughts on that one, Keith? I think it's interesting because I think a lot of times people don't associate work with 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 God from that from that standpoint. So, um, unfortunately, a lot of people are just are just kind of clocking in at work. Yes, right, and um, and they're not they're not bringing in the uh, the kind of the parallel to you know who I am here. People people know that um, I'm a Christian potentially mm-hmm. um, based on who you are, how you act, and 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 who you've spoken with at work. But then you have a poor work ethic. Yes. And, and, uh, and, and potentially, um, their only interaction with God or an introduction with God could be your work ethic. That's right. And, um, and there's a question and I might be jumping ahead here, but it's, it's, you know, how do you, if you'd hate your job, yeah, (laughs) right. How does that, how does that impact? And, and I think that there's so much more that we can do at our job outside of just the physical work that we do, but it has to start with who we are and how we show up on a daily basis. Yeah. yeah. Right. Right. We have to roll our sleeves up, come in and work hard. But if we do that, I really believe God will take care of the rest. Yes. Yeah, so but true. we, but we first have to, re- have to report to, to work. That's brilliant. Yeah. Before, I mean, I, I think, I think when it comes to ministry in the workplace or even just ministry in our, our public lives at all, it's easy to put a lot of, emphasis on superficial things uh, that are not bad, but they are superficial. Like I uh, represent God in my workplace because I have a fish on my car or because I have Jesus-y stuff around or because I play Christian music in my workstation and whatever. And and to be clear, I'm not saying any of that stuff's bad, but you got to understand you can have all of that stuff. And if you're a lousy worker and you do work of poor quality and you're all talk and, you know, not a lot of action and you don't treat customers well, nobody cares about the rest of that stuff. It's actually right? almost worse. Yeah. It is. Right? I because agree. you have all that stuff out. People are making a, a kind of a, a judgment on who you are based on yeah. who you're projecting to be. But then in work, you're not, then they're judging you based on, hey, I say I'm a Christian, um, but you you actually don't work very well. So it'd almost be better if you didn't do those things. Yeah. And then, and then right. We're, right, we're a poor yeah. employee as opposed to, like you're held to now a higher standard. And I don't know if people... Think about that in the workplace. Well, in a sense, when you're that out loud, right, they're like, oh, Jesus came to work in a cubicle next to me. I wonder how he's going to do. Oh, he's lame. <laughs> you know what I mean? What, <laughs> right. a, what a terrible work ethic that guy has. Yeah. And I don't think that's fair. Now, here on the other side is a challenge. There's a bunch of people that try to hide that they're a Christian just mm-hmm. so there's no accountability, right? I don't right. want anyone to know I'm a believer, so that way there's nothing. Okay, but we are called to be salt and light. We are supposed to live out loud. Right. And so I don't think that's okay either, which is like, well, if I strip the fish off my car, then I can cut people off without hurting Jesus' name. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yeah. if I if I never tell a coworker that I'm a believer, then I never have to smear his name. 
You're right, but you're also not blessing anybody either. Right, right. There's got to be both. I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on this, Keith. Um, I think as we talk about integrating faith in the workplace, so, I mean, all three of us in different capacities, but I want to focus on you in this way now. All three of us are in sort of supervisory roles. So in your place, in your company, you supervise a lot of it, a lot of employees. I think there is uh, a lot to be said for how how does our faith influence the way that we live as employees, as people under authority, which all three of us are that as well. How does how does your faith influence the way that you act as a supervisor? Because all of us, uh, we work for organizations where there is accountability, where there are goals that need to be met, where there are, you know, in your case, uh, you know, projections and things like that, that you've got to, you have to produce uh, and, and you need to, as a supervisor, create that sense of accountability. How does your faith influence the way you go about supervising your employees? That's a really interesting one because, you know, it, it, we're running a business and I've actually had people where... Um, I've, we've had to lay them off and, yep. and then they pull that card on you. Like you're, you're, and they've actually had like mean emails afterwards. Like I thought you were a good Christian. And uh-huh. it's like, it, unfortunately in that scenario, it, it didn't have anything to do with it. Did you fire back? I thought you were a good worker. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, like God is, is love. Right. And, and I believe love, love is a verb. And that's actually one of our culture statements that I really align with at Bit Movement Mortgage. And uh, that's love and action, right? So we think of love often as as um, that emotion or feeling that that we have with your spouse or other people, or your kids. But but love is actually um, an action word. It's a it's a word that we do and we take care of others. And so when we're when we're loving on people and we're actually leading people, um, loving on them is also counseling them when they're not working to a standard that that we have because. I'm trying to help them rise to another level. Whereas if they don't, unfortunately, you know, we may not have them employed here. So um, I think a lot of times we look at like counseling other people is mm-hmm. as like a negative thing, but it's actually, it's loving on them, right? If we're truly going to love and value people, mm-hmm. um, we have to elevate them to that next, to that next level um, yeah. and do everything we can to prevent them from getting in a situation where they can't work here anymore. But I think that that also blends in the fact that a Christian, um, as a Christian boss, you have a responsibility to your company. And I think for you being super sweet to have someone that has a horrible work ethic continue to work at the company that's employing you, that becomes poor responsibility. That's affecting your work ethic. So if you do not let them go, you're harming the agency for your own personal ministry. I don't think that's fair either. Yeah, I don't think that's what. Yeah, you're right. The harm that is done is greater than whatever awkwardness or challenge you might be avoiding. And I think there's also something something to be said about uh, how our faith influences our super supervisory capacity in non crises, not with underperforming employees or or whatever. I think that. Um, it's easy to get into a workplace environment and sort of forget that everyone has a life outside of there. <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, I'm just going to assume that oh, I know I'm carrying all my baggage in today, but everyone else is doing great and I don't need to check in or care and we can just act like everything's fine. I think there's something to be said for being a supervisor who recognizes that like we work for and with and over in some cases whole people and that we actually have some measure of care and concern for their whole lives, not just their work lives. Uh, and and when we do that, I think, I don't know, so many people in our world today, I feel like are so hungry to know that they're seen and that they're acknowledged and that they're appreciated and that people care, that that's an opportunity we have at work that frankly, I don't know, in conversations I have with people, I think a lot of people are missing that in their workplaces, that they feel like those things aren't happening and it's a source of frustration for them. 
I think that is that is adding to the idea, going back to what you were saying earlier, Keith, which was there's some of us that are just like, man, I'm just checking in like and checking out. <laughs> I don't I don't have meaning in my work. I don't care. And a lot of times if there's no care or concern or anything from bosses or anybody else, I'm not seen here. I don't matter here. I don't you know what I mean? All of that comes into play of saying maybe my work doesn't matter. Maybe I can just kind of mail it in. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a struggle. Um uh, in speaking of that, I created my own transition. Boom. I don't know if you guys noticed that. Got it. But Go that was it. Love it. Seamless. Fantastic. You know what I'm saying? Um, but <laughs> talking about that idea, I wanted to highlight one thing that, um, Pastor Brian, I don't know if you first brought it to me. Um, I sure hope not because that would give you credit. <laughs> um, but it was the idea of the nobility of work. Were you the one that brought that to me? Um, it might have been Tim Keller stuff. But anyway... What it was, was that whatever job that we do, and, it, you know, because you're going, well, I only do this. I only change oil. I only do anything that you do as a job is being like God. And here's why. In the beginning, God scooped up and he made some, well, first of all, he made something from nothing. Mm-hmm. But then once he had made it and began to reform it, he scoops up chaotic dirt and makes a human being yeah. and breathes into it. Yeah. Every work that we do is taking that which is chaotic, organizing it into form that is like our Father in heaven. Yeah. So if you are on a computer, you're taking in numbers, a binary system, ones and twos, zero, mm-hmm. that concept. If you're writing on a page, you have a blank page, you then take a bunch of letters, form them into words, form those words into sentences, form those sentences into thoughts. You are an organizer of chaos so that something valuable comes to be. This idea of the nobility that no matter what you're doing, if you're working on a car, you put this piece of the engine with this piece of the engine and suddenly you have a vehicle of transportation. No matter what it is, if you're bagging groceries, all of that is an ordering of chaos like your heavenly father. That is the image of God in man. And therefore, there is a nobility to every action and every piece of work. I don't know who it was that first brought that to you, but it's a great Isn't it good? It's a great concept. I always put it in my mind attached to you. Oh, well, fantastic. I I think it's interesting that uh, my wife and I had this conversation a while ago where this was years and years ago. We were living, living somewhere else. And I was just telling her, I was, you know, as a youth pastor at the time. And I just said, man, I, I feel like at my job that I'm just kind of full of it. Not in the sense that I'm being insincere, but in the sense that like, I don't really know that much. And I think people think I know more than I do. And I feel like someday, like I'm going to be like, that's going to be like made plain for all the world to see. And everyone's going to think like, oh my gosh, he, yes, he's totally incompetent. Doesn't know anything. And here's what's funny is my wife, who's an occupational therapist. And this is, we were both sort of starting out in our careers at this point. She says, oh my gosh, me too. (laughs) I feel the same way. I'm like, great. We're just a couple of frauds here trying to make a living. And, and I, it's a funny story, but I think the the point to it is this, and this is what ultimately she and I landed on. And actually some different conversations I had with people at at our church in the following weeks helped me realize, actually, no, that's not true. I have something to offer here is I think a lot of us, we tend to really devalue, except for like the narcissists, we tend to really devalue our own skills. Cause yes. it's like, I can look at a guy like you, Keith, and I'm like, holy cow, you keep all this stuff straight. Like the, the, the mortgage and the lending world, it is so unbelievably complex. It just makes my head spin. And in your world, you're like, yeah, it's Tuesday. 
Yeah. And then I walk into a building like this and I'm like, wow, that's, there's a lot of people around here. You're like, how do you guys you do guys this? You guys are managing the whole thing. And then we just happen to do a podcast on Tuesday. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But, but isn't it true that we tend to, we kind of forget the sense of like, well, no, we do have some expertise. We have some things we're bringing to the table and for us, it's just our lives. But for the rest of the world, like, man, I, like Keith, I can't do my own mortgage. I need your help. Sure. You know? But that's humility too, right? I mean, that's, and that's, that's of, that's of God. We're called to be, to be humble people. And, yeah. and, um, I think maybe that's just kind of innate in us when we have God walking with us is that yeah. it's, it's not about us. Right. So yeah. one of the things that I, I, I actually got this, we talked about Anthony earlier. I got this from Anthony and it's uh, like fight for the bottom. Right. So, so every day in our relationships, I've used this a lot with, with my wife, um, but like in, and also in work is how can we, how can we fight for the bottom? The idea being, um, in, in every interaction fight to lift the other person up. Out serving. Yeah. yeah. And, and you have to, you have to, uh, approach that with humility Yeah, to, to do that. I don't know if you can really fight for the bottom if you're walking in thinking, gosh, I, I know everything. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. No, so, I think that humility is key. I think another piece to it is um, the fact that you can do what you do and not be impressed by it usually is an indicator of anointing. Um, anointing makes things come to you more easily yeah. than maybe other people would have to struggle with it. Yeah. And I think that a lot of people are thinking the o- anointing only comes when it's something super Christian-y and you go, <laughs> yeah. that's actually not true. Can I share a, yeah, a verse please, with you guys? By all means. Uh, I'm kind of jumping all over here, but, but um, I think I find this so fascinating. Exodus 31 one, mm-hmm. the Lord said to Moses, see, I have called by name Bezalel, which is just a lame name, but anyway, it's this dude <laughs> of the tribe of Judah. Yeah. I have filled him with the spirit of God. And you're like, oh, sweet. What's he going to do? Right. He, right. when you, cause really Moses had the spirit of God yeah. and God just said, I filled this dude with the Holy spirit to do what he's about to do. And what did he do? It says with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship to mm-hmm. devise artistic designs, to work in gold, silver, and bronze in cutting stones for settings, for carving wood, to work in every craft. Yeah. And I have given to all men ability that they may make all that I have commanded you. Once again, it's this whole idea of they were designing the temple out. Yeah. And he was like, yeah. So anyway, so all the Holy Spirit inspired people. Anyway, I the Holy Spirit came upon that guy and he makes cool embroidery. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. It's, it's a supernatural anointing to do a very natural job. What were you going to say, Keith? Well, I was I was going to go right there. Is I think a lot of people, you know, plumbers. I mean, I don't I don't know about you guys, but I mean, I'm I'm not the guy that can swing a hammer. Yeah. I could try, but <laughs> no, it's, sir. it's not pretty. What, you know you who know. to call? Yeah, exactly, right. <laughs> and so, um, I I you know, is that is that my calling? Is is maybe the place that I'm in? And you have people. I mean, that's a true skill that I'm I'm sure you can learn. But there was a passion behind it to mm-hmm. go be a carpenter potentially, right? Or, yeah. you know, go build houses or, yeah. you know, whatever, be a plumber. Yeah. But th- those are skills that a lot of b- fix cars. Yes. Right. I mean, that, that is to be able to go in and, and rework a car without looking at a, a manual is, yeah. I, I don't know if that's something that's truly learned. I think that's something that's like within you at birth yeah. and, and where is that from? Right. Find, find that. And yeah. then, and then, and then lean in on that. Cause that, that could be, I think a lot of people, um, uh, if 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 this truly is God's plan, right? Um, uh, they're looking at their job, thinking, 
like, I don't, I don't really, I don't really like my job. I'm not happy here, but if it's God's plan, God has you potentially there for a reason. Yes. Mm -hmm. Right. And, uh, I don't know if we today with just busyness have enough time for like introspective thought of why am I here rather than just being upset as why I'm here. Yeah. I mean, oh, I think it's huge. I think that's brilliant. Um, I think there's also an element to every employee has to have a little bit of time for reflection to say, am I in the right position? Mm-hmm. I, I think because, you know, there's a lot of you can go to any Barnes and Noble and there's a whole wall full of kind of are you in the right place? I think that is all still truth of God, yeah. where it's saying if you do feel completely depleted here, is there maybe you go, you know what I've always wanted to do was watercolor. You know, maybe I've always wanted to work on cars and here I am working at an insurance company. I don't feel fulfilled. Yeah. What if indeed God had anointed you to do another job that didn't look like fancy ministry, but yeah. it was your calling? Right. I think that we can do some introspection to say maybe we're not always in the right spot. But if you are in that spot for right now, until you get clear leading otherwise, do it for the kingdom of God. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. And that, I think, is where you're able to say God has you there for a purpose. There's bigger stuff going on than just you enjoying filling out paperwork. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? There's yeah. something bigger. Yeah. Um, I want to I want to share another verse that I came across, again, when I was doing some teaching on this a while ago, and it relates, Lance, to what you just shared from from Exodus. And I I mean, I, I just have such a passion for, for Christ followers to see their work as a way that they're joining with God and bringing about God's kingdom in whatever their job is. And, and I love this. Uh, I love this verse. Psalm, Psalm 147 verse 12. Praise the Lord, O Jerusalem. Praise the Lord, O Zion. For he strengthens the bars of your gates. He blesses your children within you. He makes peace in your borders. He fills you with the finest wheat. Why did I share that verse? Okay. It is saying, Israel, God is the one who strengthens the bars of your gates. Who made the gates physically? Did God make them? Nope, people made them. Nope, people made them. He fills you with the finest wheat. Did God just like miraculously make wheat appear? Probably not. Somebody came out and harvested the wheat and, and did all of that. But who was the one who did it? God did it. So you could say, God helped fix your automobile. God helped process your tax refund. God helped you with your insurance claim. How? Through people. And to recognize that what you do day after day after day, people might interact with you. For you, it's just your job. You do it every day. But people might interact with you very infrequently. But what you're doing is God is providing a needed service to them through you, and you are able to be a conduit of God's blessing to them, I think is a powerful and profound way to think about the day-to-day. No, it's so good. So good. I think... um... Yeah, I I think that the incarnation, God in here, in human flesh, the idea that we would be the body of Christ, the idea that we would carry it out, the idea that the answer to some people's prayer request to God is in your pocket. Yep. Like you're, you have the resources, you have the abilities to help them. If someone says, God, no one cares about me. Do you care about me? How do you think he's going to answer that? It's rarely going to be an audible voice. Right. He's probably going to have a Christian come into their world and smile at him and see them and say, how are you doing today? Yeah. You are the answer to the prayer. Yeah. And you think it's normal. It's not normal. It's supernatural that you went to work and did that insurance claim and helped that person through it. That was mm-hmm. normal to you, but it was supernatural in reality. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Which again, it, it just, it transforms 
no matter your job, it just transforms all of it, which 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 I think is is, is can be very helpful, for, especially given the amount of time uh, we spend at work. Now, I want to um, I want to talk about something that that Keith, you and I chatted for a bit this weekend in the lobby. We were talking about this, and and certainly uh, we were talking about it as it pertains to to your industry, and you referenced this a moment ago about this being the year of the apology in the mortgage industry. But we were talking about some practical benefits of consciously seeking to do our work in a way that glorifies God, that it just kind of saves us from a lot of junk that can come with uh, the various, uh, for lack of a better word, uh, temptations that come in a workplace environment. Can you speak to that a little bit? I mean, how does, how does being conscious about seeking to glorify God just sort of save you from some of the junk that can come with maybe your industry in particular, but I think work in general? Yeah. I mean, well, we have a playbook, right? And uh, and I think that if we follow that play- playbook, that that's gonna that's gonna keep us out of trouble. And um, I, I think that's where a lot of that stuff that stuff comes is that people that are making these decisions potentially don't have a playbook, aren't listening to that playbook. Um, and uh, and you're referring to the Word of God, right? Yeah, yeah, the, the Bible. Bible. Yeah, yeah. You know, I talk. You know, the one I talk about that a lot, just in relationships. You know, when we're counseling other couples or kind of seeing how other couples are interacting with each other, and and uh, when they don't have they don't have uh, the Bible, Word of God, or 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 a Christian, they they don't have that playbook, so they don't have that guide. They don't have something that they can go to that really, for us as Christians, indisputable, right? I mean, this is the way that we are supposed to be, and you can typically find anything about anything that you need there somewhere, right, to guide you. And so, um, you know, I don't know if, you know, these these um, public figures or companies had somebody who had a playbook, but it doesn't appear to me that they did based on the decisions um, be, that they made because they were so intentional and so negative and really just so bad and flawed. Right. Um, because, I mean, it's, it's, it's easy to cut corners. Yeah. I mean, it really, it it really is. Mm-hmm. It's really easy to cut corners, um, and sometimes cutting corners and doing those things can actually get you ahead. Oh yeah, quite and a it's bit. Probably very profitable. Extremely profitable. It can caught. be, especially in the financial sector. I mean, you know, <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, right. Yeah. Bernie Madoff. Yeah. Yep. So um, uh, a lot of times you have to you have to balance that, right? And well, and I say balance that, but but like I, that, that comes in, like, oh gosh, I could do this and. I don't know. Maybe you're, people are sitting there thinking, like, I have this, I have this playbook, and it's holding me back um, from from doing other things because I see these other people doing these things that clearly aren't right, and they're advancing their careers, but that's not right. So, yeah, yeah. And at what cost? And at what cost? Yeah, right. exactly. Lance, what would you what would you add to that? Because um, being a pastor, there's there there are ways we can seek to do that in a way that honors God, and ways we cannot, just like any other job. Yeah. In what in what way? Do you find it beneficial? I mean, it, it sounds like a silly question, but I really don't think it is. Approaching your work, saying, God, I want to honor you and all that I'm doing, how does yeah. that save you from some of the pitfalls of being a pastor, especially a pastor of a large church? Yeah. So uh, right off the bat, the idea of pride and getting full of yourself, right? So if you are lifted up by men, no matter what your job is, um, if you're not following the playbook, right? The playbook says... It's really about God. It's really not about you. The playbook says, um, I need you to walk in humility because it's legit. And if you don't, you're going to run yourself into a serious problem. Yeah. If I do not follow that advice and I allow my mind to get away from me, if I allow my heart to get away from me, if I allow to you know, hear my own press and start being impressed by myself, you end up becoming a monster. Yeah. So I think in every job, 
including ministry. I don't think ministry is any different. Yeah. I think that the Bible says that if you're going to minister to other people, you should do it from a genuine heart and you should do it for others focus, right? So agape means basically for the other person's best interest. Yeah. If I didn't do that and I was counseling and I was thinking, well, I like the attention that it brings to me. I like the idea that I'm the answer man. I like the idea that when I go to somebody and they go, you're amazing. And I take that as if it's really me. Okay, I'm not following the playbook. I'm not. I'm right. not doing even what God asked. Right. And He's saying, "Man, you're 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 listening to something wrong. Like you got some wrong information coming in. You are not listening to my word. My word says that if you walk with me and you start putting in parameters, healthy boundaries and foundation, then you're not going to wreck yourself. Right. So is that right. is that kind of what you were thinking? Absolutely. I I think that just there are things that are off the table. When it comes to saying, okay, I'm going to do my work in a way that glorifies God so that cutting corners for profitability, uh, listening to our own press, making things about ourselves, seeking more attention, seeking more money, seeking to, you know, using others for our benefit. Those things are off the table. And, and, and what I, what I think is so important to me is they're not off the table in a sense of, oh man, I'd really love to just use that person right now, but I can't because God says not to, but it's like, no, no. The value I place in respecting another person, the value I place in seeing the image of God in someone else makes the idea of using them for my benefit or defrauding them or whatever the case may be. It's just like, no, like that's just not, yes, yeah, it's distasteful. It, it's off the table. I don't want to do it. That's just not who I want to be. And I think that, you know, will you potentially make less money, gain a little less influence? Yep. Maybe. Maybe not. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe not. You're right. Yeah. But, but even if, even if you're less quote unquote successful, I mean, you sleep better at night. You see people start getting busted or getting, whether busted for crimes or busted because of their own arrogance and pride, and you don't have to worry about it because that's just, that's just not who you are. You're not like, oh shoot, someone just like me got nailed and they're coming for me next. It's, it's, there's a a piece that comes from that. But that, I think that, you know, only happens when you've had that transformation from the inside out and it's not merely behavior management. You know what I mean? It's like, I got to watch my tail because I'm a Christian. No, no, no. You need to be different because you're a Christian. It's got to come from that inside out. That's a, I think that's a critical distinction. Now, one more element of of faith and work that I think is important is you have uh, workaholism, which is clearly a problem in the Western world. I read recently that 40% of Americans don't take all of their vacation days, which you think about that. Your workplace tells you, we will literally pay you the same amount of money to stay home as we pay you to come to work. (laughs) And 40% of Americans don't take them, which... Here I am cracking on that. I'm definitely in that 40%. But uh, so that's a problem. Nearly half of workers in the U.S. work over 50 hours per week and 20% log more than 60 hours per week. Um, I'd be interested to hear from both of you. Keith, we'll start with you. Why is it do you think that workaholism is so prevalent? And then how can thinking about our work through the lens of faith save us from that sort of workaholism? I mean, that's, I was, I've looked over that you gave me these notes and I've looked over that four or five times. I don't, I don't really know if I have a really good answer for that because in, in, in the, in the mortgage business, I see this a lot where people are, are working, you know, 60 hours a week, 70 hours a week, um, um, trying to get ahead. And, um, I, I don't, I don't know if I have a solution for that, the, mm-hmm. the, that, and that's a struggle. I try yeah. to coach people through that to, to create priorities. Um, uh, I think a lot of times it, is it, why are we working that hard? Right. Is right. It, that's the question. You know, is it because you're inefficient? 
Um, yeah. do, do you need to look at what you're doing and how you're doing it and, uh, and, and lose distractions or, or, uh, or is it absolutely needed? And, and to say there's balance in working 60 hours a week, I don't know, but, but I definitely think that there's sprints that we go in in life. Um, and, and that's the way at least that I internalize it and try to rationalize it is that we have our rest, but we have our sprints. And so when we work, we work hard. Sometimes working hard could be four hours a week. Sometimes working hard could be 60 hours a week. Um, um, and sometimes work isn't work. Does that, you mean on that? Right. Mm -hmm. Like, um, if you're dreading, I think this is another topic we had later, but if you're dreading Monday, that that's, that's a struggle, right? Like can find, find pleasure in your work. So, right. I think you could work 60 hours a week and, um, and have it not feel that way. But, um, I don't know why. I mean, external pressures to get ahead. Are you, uh, here's a good one. Like, are you, are you not managing your finances? Right. Right. And mm -hmm. so you're working 60 hours a week because you need the extra 20 hours a week. Whereas if you manage your finances in a better way to actually glorify God there, could you then cut back at work? I guess, you know, that question to put a big broad stroke as to why people work 60 hours and 70 hours a week when they've got vacation time is, is it, is it, is a challenge. I think we need to look at the internal person and that person needs to look internally as to why I'm doing that. Yeah. Answer's um, not the same for everybody. You know, but I, I think it's okay at times. It just depends on, it's why. Right. Right. You know, you're starting up a new business and like with new business owner, I mean, there's a lot of work that you got to do. Sometimes you're going to work seven, seven, seven days a week. Right. But is it, is it a small sprint or is that who I am? And is my identity wrapped up in the person that just comes in before everybody and leaves later than everybody? Right. Yeah. And so I'm going to jump on that yeah, one because please. you just hit my trigger word. I think that everything about Christianity is really identity. And um, I do think that there is times that some people, they don't want to be there. Uh, they have to because they're trying to keep up with their bills. And that goes back to the money management that you said. Mm -hmm. You're going, what, why do you need that much money? But, but a lot of it is identity. Yeah. It's uh, people respect me at work. And when I do extra, people go, wow, you're amazing. Mm -hmm. I think that um, when I don't do good and people look at me and go, yeah, we're all working really, really hard. I care so much what they think that I need to work harder. You know what I mean? That identity idea that I am somebody through what I do, so therefore I need to do more of it so that I'm more of somebody. That, I think, is the biggest reason why people – because that would also account for why you wouldn't take the vacation. People, mm -hmm. if, if in your identity, people that take vacation are weak yeah, and they're not go-getters, then you're not going to take the vacation. Yeah. And if – I feel like so much of what's behind – workaholism. And, and again, Keith, I'm glad you brought this up because I think it's really important for different people. It's different. Um, but, but Lance, to your point, I think identity is, is an absolutely huge part of it. And, and we do get, uh, if you work hard and you're good at what you do, especially if what you do is somewhat public, you can get lots of little hits of affirmation at work that you simply don't get anywhere else. You're just some guy in the rest of your life or you're, you know, living your family life or whatever. And, and, and I, it's not hard for me to see how someone could get addicted to that, uh, or even addicted to, Hey, we're growing more, we're making more money we're you know, whatever else. And growth is not bad. Making more money is not bad. Doing things that earn you affirmation is not bad. But I think that if we're going to avoid finding our identity in our work, if we're going to avoid workaholism, first of all, we have to just recognize the very basic truth. Our identity is in Christ, right? Yeah. And then look at all of our lives holistically so that, so that we're evaluating opportunities, we're evaluating our schedules through the lens of who am I becoming and what is my life about? 
You know, I mean, that's something I'm, I'm so grateful that I know my wife and I are, are, are on the same page of this is we evaluate opportunities for her and we just evaluate different things where we look at, we look and say, okay, uh, this could potentially say earn us more money, for example, um, at what cost? At what cost to our overall quality of life? At what cost to our family? Or I can evaluate opportunities and say the same thing. And and I think if we're addicted to up and to the right all the time, like up and to the right is not bad. Like that's, that's a good thing. But if we're addicted to that all the time, it can throw the rest of our lives out of whack so that we're out of sync with God. We're out of sync with our family. We're out of sync with the relationships that matter most to us. So all that's left is work. And then it becomes work, 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 work. And, and I think that story is all too common kind of a failure to look at our lives holistically and to find our identity in God and to work from a place of identity as opposed to, man, I need to keep doing this so that I can keep finding my identity in what I'm doing. I just think that's a really dangerous way to live your life. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm going to go ahead and put a big old rubber stamp on that one. Yeah, that's not, yeah, yeah I agree. Yeah. So last thing I, I want us to, to talk about is, okay, so I, I could see somebody listening to all of this saying, okay, all right, uh, two of you are pastors. One of you works at a uh, very faith-friendly mortgage company. Uh, you all are in environments, I mean, certainly we are encouraged to talk about Jesus in our workplace, uh, Lance, and, and, and you are to some degree as well, uh, Keith. What would we say, and maybe we'll start with you, Lance, and then go to you, Keith, what would you say to somebody who works in an environment where being overt about their faith is discouraged or even illegal? What maybe a public school teacher or government employee or just a place where where being overt about your faith is inappropriate for whatever reason? How can people in those environments represent Christ? Yeah, uh, as a guy who loves challenge, right? I think yeah. there's a little bit of me that's jealous for where they're at. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm insulated and isolated by Christians. Um, I am a, you know, I'm a... Uh, a candle in a well-lit room, and it's kind of like, meh, whatever, I'm surrounded <laughs> by Christians. Um, for me to have a good work ethic amongst a bunch of Christians have good work ethic, meh. So first of all, I would, I would have them re-rack their mind of going, what a beautiful opportunity. Yeah. Um, a candle in a black room that's dark shines so brightly, and people are drawn to it. So I, I would, first of all, change my whole perspective on saying, I have non-believers that are forced to hang with me. That's so <laughs> awesome. I love that idea. Like, they can't get away. They literally <laughs> will lose money if they run away from me. And because they're in the cubicle next to me, they hang out with me. You know what I mean? And I can have an impact on them and develop relationships with them. And God keeps handing them to me. Like there's more and more coworkers, you know what I'm saying? So yeah. first of all, I would completely change my perspective on that. Um, then also realize that your life lives out louder uh, in that place. So do you have to be a bit more cautious? Yeah, yeah. But um, also realize you get a, a lot more shine mm-hmm. in it. So that would be my first encouragement. Yeah, Keith. What about you? What would you What would you add to that? I mean, I. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't really have a, a ton to add to that outside of I, I would I would try to create opportunities for conversations, mm-hmm. um, uh, and and you know every interaction that you have with somebody wherever you're at, but let's say specifically at work is an opportunity. It's an opportunity to look at you and and think, wow, that person's impactful. I want to be around that person more, or mm-hmm. kind of a crazy person. I don't know if I want to be around that person more, right? And yeah. so um, I would just kind of re-rack your interaction with each individual person in the office if you really want to make that your place of ministry, because it can be. Um, you just have to do it in a different way and, and really think think about it. Right. I do yeah, think there is there is danger if you're in an un, in unethical 
or a, a corrupt organization yeah. that you as a Christian have to have some serious conversations with the Lord about whether or not you can continue to exist in that environment and still hold, maintain integrity. True. Um, if you get fired, you get fired. But uh, as a Christian, it's more important to be fired for doing the right thing than, than continuing to be doing the wrong thing. Yeah. And I, one thing that I, I guess I would encourage those who are in those sorts of environments is, uh, first of all, I want to preface all of this with, at the end of the day, sharing the gospel invo- uh, involves words, right? The whole share the gospel, always use words if necessary thing. It's like saying, right. feed the hungry, use food if necessary. So it is there, there has to be a time and a place where we speak and we talk about our faith. Uh, that being said, when you're in environments where that can't happen or that is inappropriate, there are still tons of opportunities to represent Jesus. Keith and I were talking in the lobby this weekend, and, and I recognize what I'm about to share. This is very different than a job, but I think about, you know, working at a church, you know, obviously, you know, candle in a well-lit room, like you said, Lance, but I think about uh, my involvement in the community with my kids' sports teams. You know, now, I mean, a few people on the team sort of know what I do, and we have a few believers and everything else, but it's like, if I'm coaching basketball through the city of Lincoln, we're not like having prayer and devotionals in the meetings, right? Like that's just not, not a thing, right? But my hope is that every single parent who watches me with their kids comes away from the season thinking, man, that guy really cares about my kid. And I hope every kid who through uh, encouragement, through discipline, through training, through correction, that they leave the season saying, man, that coach cared about me. He was fun. And he was, I'm glad I was able to be on his team. I don't know what opportunities might present themselves down the road. I don't know when uh, that family might have a crisis and I might have, and I, and those opportunities have come up, you know, and where there's a crisis and all of a sudden, like, I'm just your basketball coach, but like, I'm here for you, you know, and you, you're able to live in such a way relationally with others that they see you care about them and they see that you are for them and you, and they see that, you know, whether if you're talking about a workplace that you do good work, that you're prepared, that you show up, that you're about other people that ministers to people in profound ways and opportunities very well may come up down the line where you have opportunities outside of your workplace in relationship with your coworkers, your clients, your supervisors, whomever to talk about faith and to talk about the things that matter most. And then at that point, that's sort of where there is a you know harvest, if you will, of all that time you've invested seeking to represent Christ, even if you've had to do it without words. I, I think it's a, it's a tragedy to go, in, go into an environment where you can't talk about Jesus and then because you can't talk about him, think, well, I guess I can't, can't minister here. That's just not true. You know, um, something that I find so fascinating is my kids have always been in public school and we always have conversations of, they go, I think my teacher's a Christian (laughs) (laughs) and it's because they can't be overt and all the kids are still asking that question. They're looking for indicators because they're saying there's something different about this teacher. Yeah. And so for all you teachers out there that feel like just because you can't say it blatantly that nobody knows, all the kids are listening. They know. I think one thing that you hit on there really big that that a lot of people don't think about is is the preparation aspect of of the opportunity, right? L- yeah. Luck plus luck is uh, is is opportunity when opportunity means preparation, yeah. right? So uh, if you have that opportunity arise, you don't know when it's going to come, but if you're not prepared for it, it's just going to pass by. So um, you got to be in the word. You got to be ready for for when it when it comes because you you never know yep. when someone's going to come to you and say, "I'm I'm having a bad day." Yeah. Yep. Have, so ha, have you done the work to even be the person that they would share that with? Correct. Right. I mean, yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's powerful. So, all right. Well, 
Thanks, guys. This was fun. Thank you, Keith, for uh, taking some time. I know you are a, a busy guy with a lot to do, so we appreciate you coming and, and sharing your insight with us. And thanks for being someone who just lives this out, who seeks to bless people with the ministry of competence and bless people by just being a really nice guy. Thanks, man. We it was a lot of fun. We appreciate it. So uh, thanks to those of you for listening. We hope that whatever your job is, whether it's in the home, out of the home, uh, with a bunch of people, by yourself, for-profit, non-profit, whatever, uh, we want to encourage you to see your work as part of uh, carrying out and bringing forth God's kingdom. And it's a way that God is using you uh, to bless other people. And we hope whether you love your job or you have a really tough time with your job, that that inspires you uh, to do good work for God's glory and your joy. We'll see you in a couple weeks for the next episode of Engaging Culture. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Engaging Culture, a podcast by Bridgeway Christian Church. If you enjoyed the show, please consider subscribing and leaving a review on iTunes. Thank you so much for listening. Music is used under the Creative Commons license and is provided by Dexter Britton.